this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 95 of the Snyder Cut. I am Collider's slimmed down senior film reporter, Jeff Snyder, and we've got a busy show today. They all are. Uh, where shall we begin? Let's begin with my first big event back in Los Angeles, and that was Monday night's Suicide Squad premiere. Excuse me, The Suicide Squad. Big difference, literally. Um, so I liked I liked this movie. Uh, I wasn't like surprised to like it. Um, you know, James Gunn is a pretty entertaining cat, and you know he had he, they, they let him pretty much do whatever he wanted here, right? Um, and that's usually going to turn out well. Maybe it didn't turn out so well on Guardians of the Galaxy two, um, but I like how he approached this quasi sequel of sorts, right? Um, because there really aren't that many links to the original beyond like Harley Quinn. I mean, there's a couple, but, uh, I think like, you know, so the movie is like only going to make like 30 million or something at the domestic box office. Uh, it's going to, you know, everybody's going to watch this at home on HBO max this week. And I, I think it'll probably be, um, the most viewed movie on HBO max. I, I, I could imagine maybe even more than like Godzilla vs Kong. Um, it is crazy, though, that, like, this is not supposed to beat Godzilla versus Kong at the box office. Like, I don't know if it's the Delta variant or, like, maybe people were just so eager to, to get, you know, out into theaters this spring when, when Godzilla versus Kong opened. Um, but, yeah, I was just a little bit surprised at, like, the, the, the tracking on this one because, I don't know, I've been going back to movie theaters. Um, I just wear a mask while I do it. So, anyways, Suicide Squad. The movie is long. It's, you know, it's like two hours and maybe 12 minutes, something like that, around 2.15. Um, but it never really feels it. You know, it moves at a pretty quick pace. You, you Listen, you could take some issues with the screenwriting because I think if there are some, some it goes through some rough patches in, in act two where, you know, like Harley is off sort of having her own uh, adventure. Um, and... You know, so act two maybe drags just a tad. But I really like the beginning of this movie. I really like the first half hour. And, and, I, and I like the third act as well. Um, you know, the reason that this movie really works beyond, you know, James Gunn's demented irreverence, I think, as I put it on Facebook, uh, is, is just like the cast. So Idris Elk, this is a guy who has horrible taste in blockbusters right we're talking about star trek beyond the dark tower pacific rim sorry i'm not i'm not getting that a pass uh and and even hobbs and shaw which was just was not great it wasn't terrible but it wasn't great so those are like his four big movies this is the first movie that really uses idris elba correctly um i was hugely impressed here like and I really liked Will Smith in the first movie. I thought he was sort of like the, the strong point of that film. And when, 
when Will didn't want to come back, I think that's what it was, right? Because, like, they would have, you know, Warner Brothers would have loved to have had Will Smith. Um, I don't know if Will Smith saw himself as, like, a James Gunn kind of guy. I, I really don't think that they are a fit. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what happened with Will Smith. It was just like, hey, man, that, that movie sucked, you know, Suicide Squad. I don't want to be part of this, like, DCU thing ongoing anymore. Like, I'm out. I don't know if that was him or if it was just a deal point or, you know, what it was, maybe his uh, James Gunn's creative vision. But like, you know, that when, when Idris came on, there was, there was some talk that he was going to be playing the same character. He was going to be replacing Will Smith. And from what I heard at the time, and I think I said this on podcast two years ago or whatever it was, was like that Idris, I don't believe gave Will like a heads up um or that you know he didn't get like will's blessing and i think that there was some tension there in that relationship between will and idris um and ultimately what was decided is that idris would be playing a different character uh and leaving the door open for will smith to return down the line and maybe you know there was a a third suicide squad movie who knows and and maybe will smith comes back for it I, i have no idea but um i think it would be a it'd be cool to have like will smith and idris elba fucking team up um i think that would be cool but it's tough to argue with what idris elba brought to the table here like you know his arc is is amanda waller going to make him a leader and i thought it was a pretty satisfying arc um now the reason it's as satisfying as it is is because there's a good foil um and I'm not, I'm not talking necessarily just like about like a villain. Um, There's just someone for him to like play off of. And that would be John Cena, who was also really good in this. That's another guy who's like got roped into this Fast and Furious franchise. And like that, that, that franchise is like in danger of becoming the next Transformers franchise. I didn't mind the last Fast and Furious movie. I, I just, it would nice, it would be nice to see them get back to either like number one or number you know fast five was really good but um yeah it's kind of i don't know it just doesn't do it for me like it used to fast and furious so like idris elba john cena i think are much better off in this suicide squad world um and like i'm I'm excited for peacemaker and i won't tell you when the peacemaker series will take place whether it's a you know, a sequel to this or a prequel or whatever it is. Um, you can find that out on your own. Um, but yeah, I just, listen, it was a fun time. It was fun to be there with everybody. I got to sit next to, to Justin Kroll and, and uh, Umberto Gonzalez uh, in, in Scooper's Row in the back of the theater. Everybody had their masks on and everything. Um, you know, the, the party was outdoors in Westwood. It was like a block party style thing. So we were able to take our masks off and like a lot of the squad was there. John Cena was at the premiere in costume. He was dressed as Peacemaker. Um, Margot Robbie looked great. Uh, Samara Weaving was there. She's not in the film, but I always she, she looks just like Margot Robbie. I mean, the two of them are like practically identical. And I've just been watching Nine Perfect Strangers as well. So I, like part of me wanted to just like run up to Samara Weaving. Um, who else did I see there? Michael Rooker was looking good. Uh, Jai Courtney was there um yeah like it was just like a good turnout i actually sat right behind um i want to say it's bob ostrander forgive me if it's john ostrander i think it's bob who created the suicide squad so it was just kind of neat to like sort of watch him watching his creation on the big screen and whatnot 
so I, I give this movie three stars out of four. I thought it was good. Should it have been better? Not really. Not really. I think I think that's kind of like the refreshing thing about it is like it. It's the rare DC movie that like you get what it's selling. It delivers exactly what those ads are. There's no trickery. It's, it's I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's unfair to say that that DC you know tricks people into seeing its movies. I don't. I don't think that's necessarily the case. But like you know, like I said, maybe I was just comparing to the last Suicide Squad movie where, where that trailer was really one of the best trailers I think WB has made in years, uh, and then the movie was just so bad. Um, so yeah, I'd see it on the big screen and be sure to stay through the credits because uh, you know the post credit scene is definitely worth watching. Um, but if you do decide to check it out on HBO Max, I, I think you're going to have a very fun night. You know, it's just, I hate to be that guy who's like, this is just a fun movie. It's its a blast. But yeah, James Gunn knew what he was doing here. And uh, DC just gave him the, the the leeway to do it. I mean, that's what happens when, I mean, like, I wonder if this, if, if they hadn't gotten James Gunn, would there have been a, su- a sequel to Suicide Squad? Who would have made it? Would we have, you know, would we be watching Guardians of the Galaxy 3 right now? It's all, all interesting stuff to ponder. Um, but man, this movie's not for kids, that for, that's for sure. It is a hard R. It is gory and violent and goopy. And yeah, it's just like, I can't believe like some of the, the comic book mayhem and madness that I'm watching here. Um, but recommended, recommended from this comic book movie snob. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit more about the Scarlett Johansson fallout. Things are just heating up, right? You're seeing all the the inside stories that everybody magically has after a lawsuit is filed as opposed to before. But it sounds like there is some tension between Bob Iger and Bob Chappick. Bob Chappick, you know, was a, a theme park guy who came over to Disney without any real experience uh, coddling talent, which is like half the job of a studio head these days. Um, and so, yeah, Bob Chappick is just like signaling this is the new era at Disney. And, you know, the IP is the king. And yeah, I mean, listen, Disney, they may very well have the upper hand in this lawsuit because, you know, the, the contracts uh, do not explicitly state an exclusive theatrical release. It's just sort of implied. I mean, people are pointing to the, the letter that, um, you know, the lawyer sent to Scarlett's team, sort of reassuring them about their concerns. Uh, but, I, you know, I just don't know, like, what the precedent is here. And I know, I think, like, I think it's the Disney's trying to get this into arbitration, which is why Scarlett's team sort of filed it as their contract is with Marvel. So Disney, they're accusing Disney of, of you know, breaching um, or, or inducing Marvel to breach its contract. And I don't think that there's any um, arbitration uh, in, in that case. So meanwhile, you've got Bob Iger, you know, seemingly like pissed and, and just, um, sorry, that, that's Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige is the one who, who's basically said to be very upset about this and, and just embarrassed, right? Bob Iger, you know, you're seeing those, those kinds of tweets and stuff where it's like, he's just like laughing to himself at home. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but it certainly shows like how important Bob Iger was to the last 15 years of Disney or whatever it was. Some people took him to task for because, you know, the only thing that he screwed up was the succession plan um, by leaving uh, Chappick in charge, but that's the worst thing you can say about the guy. Meanwhile, then there's like the Alan Horn and all of this. Like Alan Horn was the guy who, who, you know, used to run Warner Brothers for years, got 
you know, screwed a, 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 out of like a bake-off situation up there, came over to Disney, and he is supposed to be the guy who like cleans up the messes. And like, this is a big mess. So where's Alan Horn in like, I don't know, stepping in to try to smooth things over uh, between Disney and the talent community? Uh, I just heard so many takes about this in, in the last week. You, you'd be surprised how many uh, experts there are. Um, Matt Bellany has been great. You know, his, his puck newsletter, uh, I think is fantastic. You should all try to subscribe and get on that email list if you can. Um, but he was basically talking about like, you know, how Brian Lord has become like the top agent in town. It used to be Ari Emanuel, right? Over at uh, Endeavor and then WME. And that's why, you know, he was Ari Gold on Entourage. And just like everyone equated him as like with the, with the most power in town. And, and that may very well be the case still, but like he makes... You know, Ari makes headlines because he's a character and, and, and maybe because it's like some of the big swings he takes with WME, like buying, you know, like the, the rodeo thing or UFC. But, you know, Brian Lord at CAA, like they just have a, a, a not a stranglehold on, on talent necessarily, but certainly it seems like in maybe on like the lit side of things. And um, Brian Lord has negotiated like two gigantic deals with, with the uh, Knives Out sequel stuff to, to Netflix. And then this recent Exorcist thing for $400 million, the trilogy to, to Universal. So like Brian Lord's riding high. And the idea that Disney and its lawyers were just so arrogant that they would just ignore Brian Lord's phone calls for months. Like that blows my mind, you know, like, I mean, I'm used to people ignoring my phone calls because I'm a reporter at Collider, but to be like the top agent at CAA and and, no, and you can't get a fucking callback from a Disney lawyer, like that that, that does show some arrogance. I, I, I don't think he really had much choice but to file this uh, this lawsuit. I am surprised that no one else has, has filed uh, followed suit yet, but I think that there are a lot of people who are sort of waiting to see how this shakes out. If I was Disney, you have to settle. I, I just, I think like the statement that they put out was was embarrassing. I don't know what Zenya Mupa was thinking on her way out the door. Um, it just didn't doesn't look good. And forget about the fact that she's a woman. I am kind of like sick of that, like a, a gendered attack or something. I mean, I guess it's true in the sense that I haven't seen Disney do anything like that to its male stars. Um, but you know, man or woman, like Scarlett Johansson's a a, a big star, and um, you just don't release a statement like that uh, about a piece of talent, uh, particularly one who has, as noted, made you billions of dollars as the female lead in your biggest franchise and who you're back in business with on Tower of Terror. And who knows what will ever happen to that. But anyways, it's just, um, it's just a crazy, weird, sad situation. I think that Disney will settle. I don't think Scarlett will get the entire 50 million. I think that's a pretty optimistic figure. I do, and like I said last week, I do think that the talent has to share in some of the risks and, and losses of this pandemic. I don't think it can just fall on the studios. Um, yeah, if you were supposed to make 50 million, like, yeah, you might have to settle for 25 to 30 million because uh, that's just like, you know, the, the, the way the market is these days. Um, but yeah, I, I, like I said also last week, I just don't think that Disney can build its streaming service on Scarlett Johansson's back. That's not right. There's a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, in, in the ether with the renegotiating contracts and deals and things like that. Steve Weintraub, Frosty over at Collider, actually spoke to Sean Levy for Free Guy and asked him about this. Or, or maybe, you know, I don't know if he asked him or if it came up naturally, that kind of thing. But um, basically, Sean Levy was saying he's in the, in, in the middle of a situation like this as well, because he's a producer on the Sesame Street movie, which you may have forgotten about, like... 
I didn't know if this thing had already been filmed or, or whatnot. Uh, God, I mean, we did casting stories on this like fucking two years ago. So I guess at the time, Anne Hathaway was going to star and the movie was about to get made and then she got pregnant. So, all right, the movie's going to be on hold while Anne, you know, has a baby. Then, all right, it's time to, to get the gang back together again and then COVID hits, right? So now that H, now, now that, you know, Warner Media or whatever it is, is, is you know, sinking all its resources really into building up HBO Max to compete with the big boys. Um, there's talk. They like, like Sean Levy's agent had to ask him, like, how would you feel about Sesame Street going from Warner Brothers theatrical to HBO Max? And maybe there'd be a hybrid day and date kind of thing. You know, Warner's is supposed to move away from that model in 2022. And yeah, Sean Levy's like, I think that he really wants to get a deal done. Um, and the movie is, you know, is still technically at Warner Brothers, but it was just interesting that he, he has to you know, the financials are totally different when you're making a movie for HBO Max versus theater. So I, like, would, would that necessitate cuts in the budget? Um, would he have to take a pay cut? It's all that kind of stuff that, that that's kind of interesting. Meanwhile, Warner Brothers, and this was in Matt Bellamy's newsletter as, as well, which I thought was pretty interesting. The Warner Brothers deal with Legendary for Dune is still not done. And that's about seven weeks out from release now, right? Now, I, I believe HBO Max when it says, because at first I didn't, but they keep saying it. And so it leads me to be more optimistic than pessimistic. But like, I believe them when they say Dune is going day and day. I do think anything could happen. And Denis is Denis. And, and uh, they may just, you know, say, no, 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 this is theaters only. And HBO Max is cannibalizing this. And it's not driving the signups and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, so I don't think that we've heard the last on like the Dune distribution story, but like the fact that that deal has not been sewn up yet made me raise, raise an eyebrow because that would seemingly be the first movie that you would try to like lock down for this HBO Max experiment that and like Matrix 4 maybe. So yeah, we will see. We'll see what happens with Scarlet. We'll see what happens with Dune. Oh. And like I spoke to someone uh, who actually saw all of Dune um, and I want to tread lightly here, but like, it sounded like it has a Mortal Kombat problem. Well, what I mean by that is that Mortal Kombat was all about this Mortal Kombat tournament, right? And then the movie ends before the tournament begins. And it sounds like Dune is all about this epic battle. And it sounds like Dune ends before the battle <laughs> begins. So, you know, it's just that that's the danger of splitting, you know, one book into two movies. Um, you know, I don't think that second movie is a sure thing. Uh, I, it'll it'll just depend on, on the box office and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, is, is Timothy Chalamet a movie star? I, I guess we're about to find out. He's surrounded by a bunch of actual movie stars, but I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm pessimistic about, about Dune. I want to believe, but I'm not necessarily buying the awards talk. I just keep going back to Blade Runner 2049, which was such a head-scratcher for me. Speaking of head-scratchers, um, was it what, Tom Staggs and, and Kevin Mayer, who, who bought Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine this week for $900 million. Now, Justin Kroll had some interesting analysis uh, just based on what he's heard from agents. Because, like, on its face, Hello Sunshine is not worth $900 million, nor is Reese Witherspoon. I mean... I don't even know if people fucking like Reese Witherspoon. It's one thing when it's Reese and Jennifer Aniston in the morning show or, 
you know, Reese and Nicole Kidman and all these people in Big Little Lies. But like, look at like that Home Again movie that she made from, uh, you know, um, Meyer Shire over there. Uh, like no, nobody saw that movie. I, I just, I don't think Reese Witherspoon is particularly likable. Um, I mean, she's just so fucking like cheery. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel... The, the realest I ever saw was, was think that, that night that she like got arrested or whatever, pulled over uh, with her husband by the cops. Like that was like fucking the Reese Witherspoon I want to see more of. I, I liked Reese Witherspoon in like Freeway and I don't know. Anyways, Justin said that, you know, maybe this company is investing in her because they see her as the next Oprah or the next Martha Stewart. Now, again, I think that's a stretch, but, you know, Hollywood does sort of dictate who those people uh, who gets to be the next lifestyle guru, so to speak. Um, and, and so you can see, I could see myself going to Kmart or Target and buying Hello Sunshine bedding or, or candles, whatever the fuck it is, you know? So maybe in that sense, you know, the Reese investment pays off in the long run, but short term with just like the content that she's producing and getting involved in, I'm not buying it. I couldn't even tell you like, really or uh, no i could actually sorry forget that all right other stuff uh so fucking speaking of gigantic fucking deals um paramount locked in or viacom locked in like matt stone and trey parker the south park guys they offered him like a 900 million dollar deal as well or something like that um and that is going to call for them to do more seasons of south park including excuse me about 14 New South Park movies. Not really, that's just like, you know, the, the quarantine special that they did with like an extra, I don't know, 20 minutes on top of it or something. Uh, and if they can do two of those things a year for the next seven years, okay, you've got 14 movies. They're not like bigger, longer, uncut theatrical features. Like these are all for Paramount Plus for the streaming service. Um, and I feel like Paramount felt like they had no choice but to do this because they don't have South Park anywhere on Viacom Plus because they signed some kind of exclusive deal with HBO Max. So if you want to watch South Park, you got to go uh, like, you know, without it being live, like on Comedy Central or whatever, you got to go to HBO Max. That doesn't make any sense. And I, I don't know how, how long HBO Max has the show for. It might be for like three more years. So it's like if they want to get content on paramount plus then they have to order some south park movies that's the way around it they're calling them movies as opposed to three episodes of a tv show or whatever it may be um it seems like an awful lot of south park seems like south park's just been going on forever it was around when i was a kid uh and i like that that feature that they made but yeah i'm just i'm too old for that shit guys look at me i need a fucking nap it's like two in the afternoon um there's an interesting story this week about um Netflix is Blonde, which is the, the Marilyn Monroe movie starring Ana de Armas and how it's too sexual. And that, and that Netflix thought it was be going to get some like prime awards contender and that the movie features like, I think it's a difficult, really tough to watch like sexual assault scene or something like that. And then a bloody cunnilingus scene, like someone, you know, going down on a woman who's on her period. Um, it was an interesting story for sure. I don't, I take it all with a grain of salt because it came from like an Anna de Armas, uh, an Anna de Armas fan account, essentially. Like not an actual journalist, uh, not that I would really think a journalist would report on this kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's a couple things here. So number one, if you think that you're getting 
some kind of prime awards contender from Andrew Dominic. I don't know what you're thinking. What you were thinking? Okay, you, you made up. You, you messed up. You made a mistake. Uh, Andrew Dominic is not and never will be an awards darling. Okay, like if if he if he was going to be that, Jesse James would have he would have lopped an hour off of that movie. Uh, as far as things being too sexual, okay, so it's like if you are, if you haven't made an awards contender, right, then it's not about impressing the Academy. It's just about impressing your viewers. Uh, and what sells more than sex on Netflix? Look at fucking Bridgerton. Look at Sex Life, which is a show I've only heard about because of some, you know, giant dong scene in like the third episode or something, which I have not watched. Uh, like, I just don't see why Netflix would be so shocked, surprised, or saddened to get some kind of sexually explicit piece of programming starting on the armist. Like, that sounds like, you know, that would have most people salivating, most streamers. Um, so yeah, I just don't know how much I'm buying any of that. Uh, you know, I want to, I guess we could just talk about Netflix awards contenders now. Like, I don't think it's going to be Netflix's year. I mean, listen, you know, they're, they're in everyone's ear, like all the awards people right now, you can see it in the predictions. You can see it go over to variety and Clayton Davis's predictions and how he's got, don't look up and the power of the dog, you know, two, two out of the top three slots. Right. Don't look up. I think I don't even know if I mentioned last week. You know, I I, I spoke to someone who who saw the movie. Said it was, you know, more of the same from from Adam McKay, uh, which to, in my mind is not necessarily a good thing. Um, so a little like thirty second teaser or you know my, like little trailer thing cropped up online. I'm surprised Netflix didn't like shut it down or whatever. But you know, it's like. Oh, sure. It's DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence trying to convince the president and, and the president's son that, you know, a meteor is coming and, you know, we've all got to take shelter or whatever the fuck. You know, we got to do something. And I think it speaks to the idea in this country that, like, you just can't convince the other side of anything. You know, like, I could scream, you know, that, that the vaccine is blue in the face and show you all the data, you know, and then you're going to go on Facebook and some, some asshole is going to be like, did you do the research yourself? And it's like, yeah, you know, I'm not equipped to do the research. And guess what? Neither are you. Okay. Reading an article is not like doing the research. Okay. The CDC does the research. So it just, it seems like it's playing on, on those sort of, um, you know, that political divide. Right. I told you that I think Meryl Streep is playing a very Trumpian president. Jonah Hill clearly appears to be playing some type of like Eric Trump uh, jackass first son, you know, uh, but I just don't, you know, maybe that gets a nomination the same way that vice inexplicably got a nomination. Cause that's just a, a bad movie, quite frankly. Um, I, I was stunned at how it still got six nominations, but like it, it was never going to win anything. Uh, I think that this movie is, is likely in the same boat. Um, same like power of the dog. I, I, really don't know much about that. Like I know it has a great cast and it's from Jane Campion. I don't know much about the story, but Jane Campion is not winning the best picture. So, and, and to that end, um, you know, I think you're seeing Netflix sort of snap up anything that could be an awards contender, like The Lost Daughter it bought uh, today, which is Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut with like Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley. So another really good cast. Um, 
you know, it's from, it's based on like an Elena Ferrante novel. So do you think that's winning best picture? No, no, like maybe they think they can get some acting nominations out of it. It's really all about, you know, getting that the highest tally and count uh, for Netflix, especially if they don't feel they can win best picture, then they want to have the most nominations and, and all that kind of shit. It's all about bragging rights for these people, guys. Everything's a fucking dick measuring contest. Trust me. Um, what else? Tom Rothman re-upped at Sony. Uh, and, you know, I think that there were some rumors that he may be on his way out finally, but I, I don't know. I'm of two minds there. And one, Tom Rothman, you know, got, he made Spider-Man that much more relevant by, by striking that deal with, with Sony or sorry, with Marvel to get Spider-Man in, in their movies and, you know, ha have the Marvel imprint on Sony Spider-Man movies. I think that was really important. I think that Sony doesn't have the greatest IP, right? And so it goes after the whole, the, the place, the, the people and place, like things in the marketplace that make sense for it that may not be top IP. But like, I think you got to hand it to Tom Rothman to get Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which everyone wanted. Leo and, and fucking Brad Pitt, like, of course, but Sony's the one that got it. Um, and maybe they had to give up a lot to get it. They had to, you know, it was a, a huge budget. Maybe they had to give Quentin the rights to the film back after an, you know, X amount of time, but like, seemed like it paid off in the, in the short term. Um, you know, Tom Rothman now has Brad Pitt's next movie, right? Bullet Train, which I think could be really good. So, you know, he may not control IP, but he's getting in business with the DiCaprios, the Pitts, the, the Tarantinos of the world, uh, just to like try to make events out of adult pictures, which, which is refreshing in, in today's marketplace. You know, we'll see how the Venom sequel goes, but you got to hand them, give them credit for that first Venom, which exceeded everybody's expectations. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot brewing there, so... I'm not surprised Tom Tom Rothman got called back to for, for another uh, stint atop Sony. Uh, Apple picked up Matthew Vaughn's Argyle, two hundred million dollar spy movie starring Bryce Dallas Howard and Henry Cavill. Uh, pretty good cast on this one: Sam Jackson, Brian Cranston, uh, Dua Lipa. Got to stay relevant to, for the kiddies. Um, but yeah, anytime you're spending $200 million on any movie, you really have franchise hopes. You're hoping that this is going to launch a, a universe, a world, whatever the hell it is. Uh, Matthew Vaughn's proven he can do it before with Kingsman. Um, you know, Kick-Ass did not quite work out. I mean, he didn't direct that second film, which was just fucking terrible. Jeff Wadlow is bad. Um, but, you know, for Apple, I mean, how much did fucking Cherry cost? <laughs> like... I'd rather work with Matt Vaughn and and, uh, and and you know his cast and spend two hundred million and maybe get a sequel at the, you know rather than like dropping however much they did on Cherry working with the Russo brothers who I don't want to say they can't direct their way out of a paper bag but Cherry was not the project to follow all those Marvel movies with it did not help um, hopefully the Gray Man will be a lot better uh, what else. Warner Brothers cast Zolo Maradueña. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. As the Blue Beetle. Maybe it, was one, maybe it wasn't Warner Brothers. Maybe it was HBO Max. I'm not entirely sure. A good scoop from my pal Umberto over at the, uh, at the Rat. Not really familiar with this guy at all. Uh, he was at the squad premiere, though. I mean, looked like a good-looking guy. And, you know, 
fans seemed excited about it. I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, major Latin um, movie stars or, you know, uh, movie stars with Latino roots. And uh, I think that means you got to create a few and you got to start them young. And so, you know, this, this kid has a very bright future if Blue Beetle is even halfway decent. Uh, Warner Brothers tapped Chad Stahelski to direct Shabumi. Terrible title. Movie's never going to get made. What do you want me to say? This is a development project that Chad will do. I mean, he has like eight zillion projects in development. Warner Brothers has eight zillion of these projects. You know, that like every few, like Methuselah. Methuselah is heating up. And uh, it's the other one Warner Brothers had. There's just so many. They, 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 they buy the same kinds of scripts over and over. And then, and then, you know, try to make them work for a year, try to cast them for a year. And then they realize what the hell are we doing this for? No one's going to see a fucking movie called Shibumi. <laughs> Anyways, uh, congrats to Chad Stahelski on, on taking the money and running with it. Um, Isaac Gonzalez cast in the Three Body Problem, uh, which is the controversial, you know, um, Netflix show, show from Benioff and Weiss. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> the less said, the better there. Um, Nicholas Holtz cast as Renfield in a monster movie over at Universal from Chris McKay. No. <laughs> what, like, what do you want me to say? They were looking, who were they looking at for this that I'd heard? Uh, Channing Tatum, eh, uh, Adam Driver. There was like one other name I could have sworn I heard, but like Nicholas Holt is the star. I mean, I guess it all depends. I didn't think Invisible Man was going to be as great as that was. And, and, and make no mistake, that was great. Chris McKay, I didn't see the Lego Batman movie he made. Uh, I, you know, Tomorrow War was better than I expected. But like, I don't know. Chris McKay's developed a, a bunch of projects that haven't really gone anywhere. This Renfield thing, I'm intrigued about like a, a movie about like a mental patient. I'm just not sure like how the Dracula of it all plays into things. Maybe Adam Driver winds up as Dracula. I don't, I don't even know how big Dracula is in that script or what the deal is with that, but I don't know. I like Nick Holt's an interesting actor. I just, I like him more in support, like as Nux in, in, Mad Max. I'm not sure he's like an above the line, an above the title kind of guy. Um, Dwayne Johnson taking to Twitter to let everyone know he's got a Jungle Cruise sequel meeting this week. Yeah, uh, good luck with that, Dwayne. There's not going to be a sequel to Jungle Cruise. Sorry, brother. <laughs> the Jungle Cruise sequel meeting. <laughs> I wonder how long that'll be. Five minutes? Everybody gets on a Zoom call. So, are we doing a John Cruise sequel? Nope. Goodbye. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the movie certainly did not perform very well. Don't even try to spend $30 million for this movie as, like, a win. Um, they haven't released, you know, the fucking digital numbers, right? Disney Plus numbers. That's because they're probably nowhere near um, Black Widow. Uh, yeah, man. Jungle Cruise was a bad movie. I just don't trust anyone who tells you otherwise. It was not good. 
And again, a big part of that is that The Rock's not a romantic lead and all the CG. It's just an endless amount of CG. Uh, Colin and Casey Jost writing a live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Have we not had enough of these? I mean, let Seth Rogen do his animated TMNT movie. Why do we need another live-action one? Like, how does this even happen? Like, <laughs> I'm just... And Kate, you know, so is, is it like, does, I don't even, I mean, you can see I'm like at a loss for words. Is it that they hire Colin and, and, and Colin's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'll do this for you. I'll write this movie for you, but you gotta let my brother write it with me. Is this Colin being like, Casey, I, I've got too much shit to do as like, you know, a writer on SNL and whatnot. Like you, you're going to write this movie, but you only got this job because of me. So I'm going to put my name on it as well. I'm just like, or do, or do these two brothers just love teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like me and my brothers did? Like I did grow up on those two things. It was Ghostbusters and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I was a Donatello guy. So some part of me will always love this property, even though the movie, the, the recent movies have just been so forgettable and just so like, bright and colorful and aimed at children. And I don't think that that is where Seth Rogen is probably going to take this, but I like the, those first two like original movies. I don't care how like goofy they were. Yeah, the, the, the new shit just has not worked for me, um, but an odd, an odd hire anyway, you slice it. Tom Hanks joining Wes Anderson's new movie. This seems like a match made in heaven. I'm totally down for this. I would have loved to see like Tom Hanks starring in a Wes Anderson movie opposite like Francis McDormand who is in this movie, uh, maybe they'll even share some scenes, but it sounds like this is like a small role for Tom Hanks, possibly even a cameo. Uh, ben Foster joining Will Smith in Emancipation. You know, this was one, this is like just called being a reporter. So like, you know, I had gotten the tip that Ben Foster was in Emancipation. You know, I knew he was down there shooting, he was on set, doing the costume stuff and all that. And my source was just like, you know, why don't you get, just get the confirmation from Apple? I'd feel a lot better. So of course I, I hit up Apple and they're like, well, everyone's been on top of this for weeks. Everybody's been tracking this. I'm like, okay, great. I'll go at the same time as everybody. Uh, you know, and they're just like, yeah, it's just not, it's not done. We don't have the character descriptions, blah, 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 whatever the fucking result, reason was. Then Deadline comes in with a story over the weekend. that's like Emancipation has shut down production for two weeks due to COVID tests. And they'd been two weeks into production already. So it's like, at that point, I go back to Apple and I'm like, listen, I know this isn't even about an exclusive. I know we've all agreed to go at the same time, but like, you guys are fucking crazy. If you think I'm going to let you shoot a fucking Will Smith movie without reporting on the cast. Like, I don't know what these fucking streamers are thinking. So you just have to be like, listen, you wanted us to go at the same time. I'm, an, I'm keeping my word. I'm a man of my word gentleman's thing but like you got to do this today or tomorrow because we're going with this in the next 24 hours like i'm not just going to sit here on my hands indefinitely and not report news that i know is true so like you know get your shit together and let's announce this already so that's what we did you know it's just like you can't you cannot let the studios or the streamers dictate the timetable and the schedule by which things are released. If a guy is, if a movie has been filming for two weeks, then the cast is in place and they're down there like shooting. Like, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? Carrie Washington signing on to a Netflix surfing movie, Rockaway. Uh, I promise you, I will pretty, pretty sure I will never, ever see this movie 
That said, it's not a terrible role for Kerry Washington. It actually did sound interesting. She's playing like a New York journalist who gets this assignment and sort of loses herself in it. And, uh, you know, it opens her eyes to a new way of life. And I, and I think that this is the kind of role that Kerry Washington, um, you know, might be able to do something interesting with. Like just her outside of her elements, you know, in surfer culture, uh, rather than just kind of doing the same shit that you know, you would expect Kerry Washington to do. I'm not a huge Kerry Washington fan personally, um, but this material is intriguing. So hopefully she makes the most of the opportunity. LeBron James producing Res Ball from uh, Sydney Freeland and Sturgeon Harjo, Sterling Harjo. Um, Sydney Freeland is going to direct this movie, uh, which she co-wrote with Sterling Harjo, the two of them. Uh, work together on Reservation Dogs, which I really, really like. I've seen four episodes of that. I think I, I mentioned that last week. Uh, that's the upcoming FX show from, from Taika Waititi. Really like the kids on that show. Uh, Sydney Freeland, I mean, she's, she's a rising director. She's got a bright future. And now that she's like in business with LeBron, I think that's fucking super cool. I like the idea of, uh, I mean, you know, she, uh, uh, I like the idea of her directing a, a, a basketball movie. It's about Native American basketball, like on the reservation. And, and it's played at a sort of different speed, which has apparently influenced a couple of NBA teams. I don't really remember reading much about that, but that's interesting. LeBron certainly can attest to it, right? If, he, if he's producing this, like he must have heard something about it. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a, a basketball story in a different type of community than we normally see, right? Um, I'm, I'm all for that. And Netflix seems to dig the basketball stuff too. Um, there's a lot of basketball themed content. They also have that, uh, you know, LeBron is doing the, the Adam Sandler hustle movie. I mean, I would like to see LeBron move beyond basketball movies, right? Space Jam, Hustle, this. He's, it's a lot of basketball themed stuff he's also doing like the biopic about him no i actually I'll, I'll i'll let that out like this is this is probably nine months old or a year old by the way just uh, so take it with a huge grain of salt because it may no longer be true it may be very very outdated information and personally i couldn't even wrap my head around it or see it but like i remember uh, a year ago i was looking into the fact that they, they were trying to get Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things to play like young LeBron. Uh, and, and like that kid shot up. Like he, he has looked totally different from season to season to season. Um, you know, he, he's a slender dude. Like I couldn't really picture him like being the type of teenager who fills out to become LeBron James. But he does have like, you know, don't forget about that, that universal project that is about uh, young LeBron. Yeah, like LeBron, expand your horizons a little bit, bro. Uh, just give, give me something else. Uh, Sebastian Stan and Justice Smith joining Julianne Moore in A24's and Apple's Con Woman movie, Sharper. Uh, those are two interesting additions. I do, I like the idea of Sebastian Stan working with Julianne Moore. Amazon picked up an ex-husband's package from Billy Eichner, Paul Rudnick, and Greg Berlanti. This is going to be like Billy, I, I, I like the premise for this a lot. I mean, I just like Billy Eichner, I think a lot, but uh, basically Billy Eichner is going to be like one half of a gay couple who like were the first gay couple to get married in New York. Like they're like local celebrities and everyone's followed their marriage with great interest since. And now it's time, you know, to, to get a divorce and, and uh, things get nasty. 
Uh, and so it's like this epic gay divorce movie. I, that, that could be really, really funny. It's kind of the antithesis of what, you know, Billy's working on at Universal with um, Bros, uh, which is about two guys who have commitment issues and, uh, you know, finally decided to give a relationship a shot. This is about the end of a relationship, but I, I, I dig it. And uh, I think it's a smart pickup by Amazon. Talked about Netflix getting The Last Daughter. The Last Daughter, sorry. Lucy Boynton cast as Marie Antoinette in Chevalier de St. George's, starring Kelvin Harrison Jr. This is just one of those movies where I don't understand why this is being made. I don't know who this is for. Did t- like, this is for the kids who watch Dickinson or something? Like, they're going to put some sort of modern spin on old, you know, Marie Antoinette. I mean, didn't fucking Sofia Coppola do that with the Kirsten Dunst movie? I don't know. I can guarantee I won't see that movie for sure. Um, what else? The HFPA approved some new bylaws. Good for them. Uh, you know, this organization needs to go away. And I was talking about it with a friend um, over the weekend. Here's what they need to do. Justin Chang, who's the you know, main film critic for the LA Times, he is also the 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 head of the LA Film Critics you know, Circle or Association of what they call themselves these days. Chang has got to get with the head of the New York Association, right? And I'm not saying that they need to have won awards, right? I think LA can have its awards and New York could have its awards or, you know, whatever. But I think that there needs to be one, like they could combine forces and put on like the Critics Awards, or the, you know, the, the American Critics Association, whatever the fuck it is. And you get the New York Critics and the LA Film Critics to combine. And then maybe everyone else, like in, you know, in other parts of the country, because there's a lot of critics in Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, wherever, London. Those critics count for a third, New York counts for a third, LA counts for a third, and then there's a vote. And those, and, and then there's, you know, a new set of winners and that is who, like, like that, the, the Critics Awards could become the new Golden Globes. You could even go and get either buy the name or have the Golden Globes license the name to the Critics Awards so that, like, you know, it's basically real critics and real, like, American press who are relevant and write for major publications. They're now the ones voting on the Golden Globes instead of 85 foreign stringers who file one piece a month you know, to a magazine or website you've never heard of. Uh, I just think there's a great opportunity for another group to come in. They could either rebrand that pre-Oscar show or stick with the Golden Globes name, even though it's super tarnished. It is, you know, a recognizable brand. But yeah, it, it has to be led by the New York and Film Critics Associations. So if you know anyone in those groups, have them come to me because I could be the, the great producer who, who, who brings them all together. I'm down to do it. Uh, and, or, and if not me, then I know people who do. The Gotham's eliminated gendered acting categories, uh, which, you know, I think we've been moving in that direction for a while. I don't know if I personally agree with it. Um, but I understand it. And I think that my initial concern was like, people will change their gender or, or announce themselves as non-binary, like binary, you know, for career moves. I, 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 I hate to be that cynical about it, but I think you're naive if you think that people wouldn't do that for those kinds of career bumps, perks, whether it's awards, getting a bigger salary, uh, press attention, whatever it is. Um, 
So it's like, okay, we're uh, now the Gotham's are going to give out awards for the outstanding lead performance and outstanding supporting performance. Now, how many nominees will those categories have? I have no idea. I would imagine 10. Is it going to have to be five men, five women, or, you know, like, will it be even or will it just be on merit? You know, could there be outstandingly performance and no one you know, who's transgender and, and or non-binary, you know, gets nominated? Or is like the point to call attention to those people in performances? I'm not sure. Meanwhile, you only have two winners, right? If there's outstanding lead performance and outstanding supporting performance and everyone is lumped into one of those two things, then there's two winners. So that's two fewer winners than the Gotham's were awarding before. And I just think like if every award show sort of went in that direction, that's two fewer people, two fewer actors each year who are recognized and celebrated for their work, which seems to be the opposite of like what this whole, the whole purpose of this is, isn't it to like sort of hand out more awards and make more people feel good and, and draw attention to them. I just, I mean, listen, with, with, with change, there's always pros and cons and drawbacks and that kind of thing. Um, They'll, you know, they'll figure it out. But I think that the Gothams are an interesting, and I don't think the Gothams are necessarily the first to have done this, but there's certainly a show that I've heard of. Uh, and maybe they'll, you know, blaze a trail and, and uh, you know, get some of these bigger award shows to do the same. We'll see. Um, all right, moving into the TV portion of the show, The Lord of the Rings, the series, which remains untitled, coming in September 2022. That is more than a full year away, which is pretty wild. You don't really see TV shows, you know, plant a flag and stake a claim on a date a year in advance. That's usually reserved for like tentpole movies. The TV shows are typically dated two or three months in advance. Maybe every now and then you get six or seven months. Joe Adalian actually had a good point in his buffering newsletter, which I would also recommend you subscribe to, about like, I think Amazon just likes, you know, it's a very data-driven company and the data shows, okay, Jack Ryan, we did over Labor Day. The boys, uh, you know, was over Labor Day. And so it's just sort of become their good luck charm, I guess. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll actually watch this show. I wasn't a Lord of the Rings guy. Uh, when I did watch them, I, I, I thought they were good. They were well-made and they, and they, you know, made more sense to me than like the fucking Star Wars movies. But at the same time, I'm, I wasn't going to go see the Hobbit films. Like, no. Um, so I could really give two shits about this Lord of the Rings show, but I know everyone is freaking out and dying to see it. So September, it's going to be a long wait. A lot of post-production to do on that show. Mike Richards. <laughs> Who is Mike Richards? I thought that was, someone tweeted that. Uh, like it was brilliant. Uh, but he was—he has been named, or he's the advance—he's in advanced negotiations to be the permanent host of Jeopardy. Now, was this always the plan all along? Probably. Like this guy was the executive producer. He probably did the whole dog and pony show, bringing in the guest hosts and that kind of thing. But like, he probably knew all along that he was being groomed for this. He's—you know—yes, he was the executive producer, but he's also host. He's a host. He's a good-looking guy who looks like fucking white bread, and you know. This decision, it speaks to who the core audience is, right? Okay, people tuned into Jeopardy. More people tuned in because of all these guest hosts that want to see Aaron Rodgers or Katie Kirk or whoever it is. Uh, and it became, you know, like a, a little a, a Twitter thing. But at the end of the day, Jeopardy is for old people who watch it during dinner. 
Okay. And they just want to be comfortable uh, with the person. And, you know, I would have liked to have seen it, whether it's a woman or a person of color, take over that slot. But Mike Richards seems like he knows the show really well. I don't think he was like the best they could have done, but I think he was consistent and, and certainly not bad. There's a lot of talk about LeVar Burton. Um, you got to think of it like this, like, okay, LeVar Burton, how long would that last? Like, he's an older dude. Uh, you know, Mike Richards, I think, is like 20 years younger than him or something like that. Like, you, you got to think of it almost like sports sometimes. Yeah, LeVar Burton may have been better, but he's not a long-term solution to this problem. And Mike Richards seems like he could be that. Uh, he also seemed like he, he, you know, understood the nuance of the, the show and just its rhythms. And I mean, he's, you know, been there for Trebek for, for the last year or two, or however long it is. Um, it was also so funny, like seeing, like there was this one really long thread that I saw go viral and it was a good thread. I actually agreed with a lot of it, but they, you know, I think that the woman said like, well, LeVar Burton's a big star and, you know, he has other, he has other career options and like maybe he didn't need this or, you know, whatever it was. I mean, I guess he's a big star. Like, I, it's so funny what people's definitions are of a big star. Even like reading the Dusmois Instagram, who's a A-list versus a B-list versus a C-list. Like, I feel like the people who you see use those terms rarely know who's on what. I know that if someone offered me an exclusive on LeVar Burton joining a movie, I don't even know if I respond to that email. And that's not, I have nothing against LeVar Burton. Like, but like, you know, maybe on TV, he is one thing, but I, I'm just, I look at people through the lens of film and even like huge TV stars. I'm like, yeah, you're, you'd be lucky to get like a mention in a story about joining a movie. Like, I don't really know any other way to say it. So, um, you know, I'm sorry people are upset. They wanted LeVar Burton. Uh, they wanted a person of color. This is, this is what you do then. You don't watch Jeopardy, okay? You, you vote with your remote, with your eyeballs. And if the fucking ratings plummet with this guy, Mike Richards, and he's boring, then they'll fucking go back to the list that they had. And maybe LeVar Burns at the top of it. And, you know, then they say, you know what? We can sacrifice the, the 30 years that we expect to get with Mike Richards. Let's just, you know, make LeVar Burton the host for the next five years or whatever. I don't know. Uh, Days of Abandonment, the Natalie Portman show, abandoned by HBO, kind of came out of the blue. This, uh, but here's what I think happened because it never even made sense to me. The show also, I don't know what it was like about about a woman self discovery, blah 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 blah. Sounds like the exact same fucking thing. The Lost Daughter was. Uh, anyways, Natalie Portman signs this big deal with Apple like in March. And it says, oh, we're going to be doing The Lady in the Lake. It's going to be Natalie's first show. It's her and Lupita. Everybody's excited. A month later, this project gets greenlit by HBO and fast-tracked. And it was probably going to go, uh, you know, in front of the camera before Lady in the Lake. I wonder if Apple's just like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, we're paying your overhead. We, we did this whole thing for you. And now you're just going to go off and, and make your big, your big TV debut on HBO? It's weird. The whole thing is just weird. I don't know if, I think Portman is a producer on that one. Jane got a gun. Like, there's always issues with Natalie. I mean, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. There's always issues with Natalie Portman producing something. So I don't know what is going on with her and her company. 
Uh, I think Natalie Portman is a tremendous actress and maybe that's all she needs to be. I don't know why every actress needs to launch a fucking production company. I know it's to give themselves greater control of the material and everything, but like some people just don't have that. You know, I, I don't know what happened to people being good at one thing. You know, I don't know why great writers feel like they need to go and become mediocre directors like Aaron Sorkin. I don't know why, you know, I was, I forget what it was. I think it was like a, a puck hire. They hired a, a columnist. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but it was like, he's an expert on, on politics, race, and technology. Like, how can you be an expert on all these fucking things? You can't be. You can't be, is the answer. So anyone who says I'm an expert in like 10 fucking things, I'm sure you're not at any of them. Um, yeah, I just wish people would like pick a lane and, and kind of stick to it. Uh, some people are great at being a multi-hyphen. There's no doubt about that. Some people can juggle these multiple jobs. Some people can do it all, you know, um, but I don't know. Just like from what I've seen of Natalie Portman as a producer, and yeah, I, I'm not privy to the full story behind this Days of Abandonment thing, but like, Natalie, just fucking focus on acting and shit. You don't have to be Reese Witherspoon or Nicole Kidman. Keegan-Michael Key and Johnny Knoxville starring in Hulu's reboot from Steve Levin. And this is a fun premise. It's basically about the, the cast and crew of a popular sitcom or show that gets back together years and years later for the reboot. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're totally dysfunctional. Um, I don't know who Keegan or, or Knoxville are playing, but I like that pairing. I like the idea of Knoxville on TV. Don't want to have to wait, you know, five, 10 years in between Jackass movies for this guy to just get hurt and then recover and get hurt again. Like, let Johnny do his thing. I, I, I like him. Um, and, I, and I like Keegan, too. I like both those guys. Um, Cobra Kai, season four, starting in December. Kobe Smulders replacing Betty Gilpin as Ann Coulter in um, Impeachment, American Crime Story. Uh, we might as well just talk about that trailer now. So we got a little um, tease for it. We've seen the poster. We've seen a tease. They're being, you know, they're hiding Beanie Feldstein's face as Monica Lewinsky and the big reveal of, of Clive Owen as Bill Clinton. Um, probably because, you know, some of them look great and some of them, I'm sure, do not. Uh, but um, I don't know, Betty Gilbert would have made a good Ann Coulter. I don't know if Kobe Smulders will be able to deliver the, the same thing there. I don't know how big Ann Coulter is in the show anyways. Um, yeah, Kobe Smulders is okay. Uh, I ain't got no beef with her. There's a bunch of castings on, on this I, that I just don't know if, have, if they've been announced because I think, what else did we see? I guess that, that was what the news was, but like, Dan uh, Bacadal is playing Ken Starr, I believe. Uh, Taryn Killam is like Paula Jones's husband. I know he's been like talking about the show a bunch of people were like confused if he was in it or not. Uh, who else? Uh, Elizabeth Reeser, um, Colin Hanks. Like, I just don't know if these people have been announced, uh, but obviously the show's fucking done and in the can. Uh, what if the Marvel animated show. Uh, we broke the news this week that the episode count is different than what you might be expecting. Kevin Feige had said last year that it was going to be a 10 episode season one and a 10 episode season two for 20 episodes. But the executive producer spoke to Frosty and revealed that it's actually nine episodes in season one and nine episodes in season two. Uh, there was an episode, they, they were planning for 10 for season one, but then COVID happened and it impacted production and they had to push it into season two. They're not losing that episode. Uh, they're just pushing it to season two. 
Um, and I think we're getting four episodes with, with Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther. Uh, we also got Taika with, no, sorry, it was, uh, forgive me. Um, who was it? Was it John Davis and, and John Fox, who are producing the Flash Gordon movie that Taika is uh, working on. And, and it was originally announced as an animated movie, and then Taika has decided to do it live action. Again, don't know if this will ever happen. Don't think it necessarily should happen. But uh, Taika is moving forward on that project as if it was a live action thing. Sam Elliott, Tim McGraw, and Faith Hill cast in 1883, the Yellowstone prequel. Seems like a couple of fun additions there. Uh, Sam Elliott's obviously a great actor. I don't know if Faith Hill's any good. Tim McGraw's been actually been interesting in the stuff I've seen him in. But I didn't watch Yellowstone, and I'm not going to watch the prequel. I don't care. Physical was renewed for season two. Uh, I did the write-up for that one on Collider. I, I didn't really care for physical, but I, I do think that there is a good show buried somewhere in there. It was just a very sour show. The, the tone was nasty and not in the kind of way you want a half hour comedy to be. Not, I'm not even, it's not like an always sunny, like, oh yeah, these people are supposed to be horrible and miserable. I mean, maybe she is. She's, she's, an, she's a very unlikable antihero. She's great on the show, Rose Byrne. The show spends too much time with her husband. I think it needs to keep the focus on her. And I think it needs to maybe embrace like a little Ted Lasso, like optimism and, and niceness heading into season two, um, you know, as she becomes more and more empowered and, and helps empower more women uh, with her videos. It was just a very tough half hour to spend with this woman who's constantly, you know, criticizing herself and other people about how much they eat. Like if I was an overweight person, I would have shut physical off two minutes into it. But it was a very watchable show. I went through the, the episodes very, very quickly uh, and like, you know, wanted a new one immediately. Speaking of Apple shows, uh, we might as well do this review now since the segue just sets it up perfectly. Mr. Corman, what to say about this show? It is fucking bad. Uh, I did not care for it at all. It was not for me. It is a, a sort of thing Joseph Gordon-Levitt might have made it hit record. Like, it's just like a twee, pretentious, who is this fucking for? Or, you know, Joseph would probably answer it with, well, it's a show about anxiety. It's for everybody. You know, everybody has anxiety. And on that front, he's true. He's correct. But um, listen, I read the, the, the THR review about the show, and it did say that the second half gets like markedly improved from um, the first half. So I may very well go and finish this on my Apple account. Um, I've already watched six episodes. So it's like, it's only four more episodes. It's like two hours for me. I, it seems like I've come this far. I might as well finish. But this was such a head scratcher. I showed it to my dad and his girlfriend when I was back in Boston because screen I've had the screeners for, for uh, quite a while. And they were just like, what is this? They barely made it through that first episode. I, I just kind of labored on because I was curious. Um, and THR did note, like, you know, I think that the best episode that I saw is the one starring Arturo Castro. Uh, I forget what his fucking name is, but it's like, instead of Mr. Corman, the show is titled Mr. Whatever, you know, Mr. Castro, whatever, whatever his last name is on the show, I forget. Um, and that was the, the best show, the best episode of the show, like, for sure. So, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, man. I just, I think he's really good. I really like him. I think he's a really good actor. Uh, and I really liked his directorial debut, Don John. I like, I really did. I could recognize a lot of stuff in that movie. This, if it never should have taken so long for him to get back behind the camera, but if it did take this long and this is the best he got, 
that's not a good, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. Mr. Corman doesn't, I, I cannot recommend that show in good conscience. CNN fired three staffers for going into the office without vaccinations. Good for them, I say. I mean, I, I do think it's, it is a weird thing with employers and now governments saying, you know, you have to put this in your body or you cannot like have, take advantage of, of the freedoms that we offer in this country. That is weird. But at the same time, I just, we are in the middle of a pandemic. People are still dying. And like, what kind of a fucking asshole do you have to be to not get vaccinated? I mean, some people can't get vaccinated for medical reasons. And like that, I understand. I think that there has to be dispensations for those people, but like that has to come from a doctor I just, I'm, I'm, I'm so sick of it. People just doing their own thing here. Like, no, we're all in this together, guys. Uh, and finally, in TV news, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, there may be a movie for, for Roku. Never watched that show, never would watch that show, would never watch Roku original programming either. Uh, like, there are these people who, who run these, like, platforms and distribution, and all of a sudden they think they need to get into, like, content production. It's just... Again, it's what I said a few minutes ago. Like, just pick a lane and stick to it. You don't have to be all things to all people. Just do one thing really well. Like, you know, Spectrum is a cable company that's obviously one of the biggest cable companies. Now we need them making shows? Like, no, we don't. There's enough people making these shows. Uh, okay, we did the review. I did want to um, say... Uh, you know, good luck and congrats to, to Ash Crossan, who, who left entertainment tonight. I don't know where she's headed. I can't wait to find out. Um, but she's always a delight to, to watch her do interviews. Her, her energy is just infectious. And she, she just strikes just the right tone, you know, as a host and interviewer. Um, so I hope that she, I mean, it was her decision to leave. So I, I'm sure she has something really cool lined up. Um, and then I want to point you to, to uh, THR's cover story on CODA which was refreshing because it only put the three deaf actors on the cover. Amelia Jones was not um, part of it. And I just think all of them are terrific. All, I think there's, there's five people in this movie who, honest to God, deserve Oscar nominations. Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer as um, Amelia Jones's parents are both terrific. I'd give them both supporting noms. I would give Amelia Jones a, a nomination. I would give yeah, Eugenio Derbez a nomination. And Danny Durant, I thought was great. Thought he was great. He's a good looking dude. Like, I hope that he gets more work off of this. Like, yeah, I, you know, I could see him, you know, being like Chris Pratt's best friend in a movie or something like that, you know? And Chris, I just, yeah, Danny Durant has something. Um, and I can't wait to watch Coda again. I want to watch it with people because I watched it alone uh, in my living room back in Boston during like virtual Sundance. And I do want to see this movie with a crowd. So as soon as I fucking get a TV and an Apple TV and get my Apple TV hooked up to it and everything, like I'm going to invite people over to my place and, and uh, do a, do a photo screening. Uh, I, that is still the best movie I've seen all year. And I do think it will be a best picture nomination. People who, you know, Jeff Wells has like some bizarre thing, like it's for, it's for Wilksters and it's the same Sundance crap we've seen, but with deaf people and we're supposed to like it because of that. And like, you know, I think Wells does get a, a bad rap from time to time, but he, he is wrong again on, on this front. Coda is fantastic. And if you don't recognize that, you must not have a heart because I cried my eyes out. Uh, we talked about Don't Look Up, American Crime Story. Okay. We got a bunch of trailers, right? Before we get to uh, one little mailbag thing. Gucci trailer 
looks good. I mean, I think Lady Gaga is uh, assured herself a nomination with her whole, you know, father, son, and, and the ha- House of Gucci or whatever. Um, you know, it didn't really look like a Best Picture nominee to me. Uh, you know, sometimes Ridley moves a little too quickly, I think. Um, not that this project like came together overnight. This thing was in the works for quite a long time. I remember, I think at one point, uh, Ridley's son was going to do it. Like, um, oh, shit, a bunch of texts and calls to, to catch up on here. Uh, it was a good trailer, though. I'm looking forward to it. I do think it'll probably get an Oscar nomination. I just don't know if that's the one to beat this year. We got a trailer for Cinderella starring... Camilla Cabello, whatever her name is. Um, no, not going to watch that. Looks terrible. Just unbelievable. Not surprised Sony sold that one off immediately. He's all that, same deal. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, the, a TikTok star, Addison Ray. she's weightless, weightless on screen. You got to have some weight as a performer. You got to fucking hold my attention. And maybe she can hold it for a minute at a time on TikTok. But in a movie, no, that, that, there's a reason. There's a reason He's All That is coming out August 27th. It's the same reason Candyman is coming out August 27th, okay? Read between those lines, okay? I, I heard this week uh, that, that Monkey Paw's own executives said that Candyman was unwatchable. Um, and listen, I don't want it to be. I'm looking forward to it. Candyman was a celebrity in our house growing up because my dad was the candy man, but the buzz on that just gets worse. Every week, literally, someone else sees it and they're like, yeah, that was bad. Um, Kate, that looked decent. Uh, you know, the whole women action, shoot them up kind of thing. Um, <laughs> her flipping guys around that are twice her size, but it looked fun. I like Mary Elizabeth Winsett. I will totally check that out. Uh, the trailer of the week, though, is the one that I wrote up today. That is Coming Home in the Dark. I was worried that this, like, was never going to come out because, uh, so I think it was IFC Films that picked up Catch the Fair One this week, which was a really, really good um, Sundance movie that I saw. Uh, produced by Aronofsky. It's starring, like, a real uh, female boxer, Callie Reese. Like, that's the kind of person who I, like, buy kicking the shit out of dudes. Um, and so that... Catch the Fair One got announced as being acquired by IFC. And I was like, fuck, like, what is going on coming home in the dark? Like, does that have distribution? Lit? Why hasn't IFC Midnight picked it up? Are we ever, is it even going to see the light of day in this country? Is it going to be Shutter? Like, what's happening? Dark Sky Films picked it up and it's going to release it in October. Uh, and the trailer is great. Pay attention to the, the quotes in the trailer. Although the quotes that came with the press release I thought were spot on. Just go read my write-up on Uncollider. It really encapsulated how I felt about this movie, which has stayed with me and, and refused to let me go. It is totally fucked up. Uh, I even said in the Collider Slack and, and uh, Rafa, Raphael Modemeyer was like, um, yes, very, very fucked up. He agreed with me. Uh, so if that's your kind of thing, extreme cinema is your thing, check this movie out. Daniel Gillies is fucking amazing in it. He's great. All right, we'll do some mailbag. We got to wrap this show up because I, I already know I'm super long. Uh, Caltrick Pickens again, two questions. Hey, Jeff, hope you had a good week. Two questions with the Delta version of COVID going around in case of skyrocketing again. How many movies do you see getting delayed again? New Venom trailer had no release date attached. 2022 is already stacked with big movies in every month. First of all, I think you're right, uh, Caltrick. And uh, I think it was either it was either Rushfield or Bellany. I kind of confused their newsletters now, but Suicide Squad 
is going to really be a, a big litmus test that and and Shang Chi because I don't think I think it's too late to really delay Shang Chi. Um, but if those movies perform, then you will see Venom and you will see Bond and all that kind of shit. But if they don't, that stuff could get pushed again. Eternals could absolutely get pushed. Um, so it, I think it's all going to depend. It's going to depend on how the next few weeks play out um, before we start seeing things in October and November move. Dune doesn't feel like it will move. It just seems like they're too far down the line with their marketing campaign. But like I said, you never know. You never know uh, these days. Uh, Keltrick also says, lastly, with COVID back on the rise, I see a lot of talk about the box office recovery. Old and Snake Eyes failed to get people out to the theater. Uh, what will be the first movie to hit 100 million opening in America? No Time to Die, Venom 2, Spider-Man. I think if Shang-Chi underperforms, that's a big sign people just aren't ready yet. Uh, no, I don't think that Shang-Chi underperforming would be that big a sign. Um, I don't think it is just like a normal Marvel movie. I think that they're introducing a lot of new characters. It's a brand new star in, in, in Simu Liu. Um, yeah, I think that, that it's tough to just put it all on, on Shang-Chi. And if that underperforms, then, then that's the sign. I, I think it was probably going to underperform anyways. Um, and, not, and that's not because it's like it has an Asian cast or is aimed at Asian audiences or anything like that. I mean, it's a Marvel movie at the, at the end of the day, but uh, I'm just not sure. With the, like the trailers haven't grabbed me. They, they just haven't. So um, what do I think will hit 100 million opening in America? It's a good question. I don't think it's Bond. I don't think it's Venom 2 either. I, I don't know if either of those will. I think it might be Spider-Man 3. If that in fact comes out, you know, this December, I mean, it's only four months away. Still no trailer. Still, still not much of anything on Spider-Man. Um, and I also don't know if you can even do Spider-Man. I don't know if you know Venom Two has to come out before it, or you know, any of these Marvel movies. Like, you know, does Eternals have to come out before Spider-Man? I just don't fucking know how everything connects these days. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. But 100 million may be out of reach. Those days may be gone now. You know, there may be 33% of the, the audience that's just like, I'm not going back to theaters ever and I'll wait for streaming. And so that, that, that $150 million opening is now a $100 million opening and a $100 million opening is now $75 million opening. So, or $66 million opening, sorry. Whatever, I'm not, I ain't great at math. Um, I, uh, I'm good enough to know that I, I've gone long on this episode that we're probably at like an hour 15. So I'm going to wrap this up uh thank you for watching the snyder the, the snyder cut is that what we're taping right now i don't even know i don't know what day it is um i gotta go write up a scoopy thing <laughs> and i hope you all have a great weekend uh yeah i get to house sit so maybe next week i'll be in an even newer location i'm, I'm just gonna be i haven't got an apartment yet i'm just open for house sitting guys i'll, I'll live out of my suitcase for the rest of my life like an actor um but yeah stay safe out there keep wearing the masks indoors follow your local mandates wash your hands we're not out of the woods yet i'll see you next week Bye.